On this episode of DLN Extend, we discuss software. Is it free or is it open source? This episode of DLN Extend is brought to you by DigitalOcean and Bitwarden. Welcome to episode 56 of DLN Extend. DLN Extend is a community-powered podcast. We take conversations from the DLN community, from places like the DLN Discourse Forums, Telegram Group, Discord Server, and more. We also take topics from other shows around the network and give our takes. I'm Nate, and with me, I have two of the most fun people that I could ever be stuck with. Wendy, the camera alley-oop champ of the DLN network, and Matt, the network's crooked grind gamer enabler extraordinaire. How are you guys? Awesome. <laughs> How are you? Awesome, and thank you. Is that a backhanded compliment? Well, there's a theme to the introductions for you. Not sure if you picked up on it or not, but hey, that's okay. I'm a child of the 80s. Wendy, what's been going on in your world? I am super excited. I had four new laptops show up for class this coming fall. So now that brings me up to a total of eight or nine, depending on I have another one that I might be able to use for class right now. Nice. Yes, I'm really excited about this. I've been told that a few more are coming my way. So we should have a rock solid group for a decent sized class and the kids. I can't wait to make this happen. I've informed the lady at co-op letting her know, hey, I've got some more. They've showed up. This is a real thing. We're actually doing this. Everyone I've talked to at co-op with older kids is I want to make sure that it's kids that can actually follow instructions. So we're going with some of the older kids at co-op. But all of the parents I've talked to about that there are super excited to see this coming to co-op. Thanks again, community, for making sure that this is going to happen again. And then I started taking some of your advice and using a virtual filing cabinet. Now, I Mm. haven't scanned anything in years. My way of filing before this, well, let's just say it was mm, non-existent. You throw it in a drawer. (laughs) If you got to find it, it's there somewhere. So filing in general for me has been crap altogether. And then now trying to start a digital filing system, which after hearing you talk about it, I was super excited about. I want to get rid of all of this paper that's just hanging around. And that's one of the things that I did this last weekend is I started doing some of that filing Naming-wise, I am still trying to figure some of that out, exactly how I want it filed and how I want it named. But even though I haven't done a whole lot yet in the scope of things, it's already dramatically reduced the amount of paper in my room now. I've got a really good shredder, so when I'm done scanning whatever needs to go in, I can quickly run it through the shredder. I have to say I'm amazed at how fast this printer scans. If you listen to the hardware addicts that dropped on Friday, I talked about this there. After eight years of having the same printer, scanner, fax, copy, whatever, and then moving to something that's brand new, the time that it takes to scan something is dramatically different. The first time I ran something through the scanner on this, I figured, oh, I can set it in, click scan, walk away, go do something and come back. Nope, it was done like instantly, even over Wi-Fi. I'm not hardwired. It's on the network. It was instantly up on my computer screen. That is awesome. Well, I'm glad you've joined me in my digital filing revolution, although it's a 20-year-old revolution for me. It does make the desktop so much clearer. If you have a plan, a purpose, what are you going to do with your paperwork? It doesn't stick around. And I really appreciate that. Should your scanner go down, you're going to be a very unhappy camper, just saying. Yes, yes, (laughs) I will. Well, it was super easy because a new garbage bill showed up during this week and I'd already started scanning things. So it was a very quick open it up 
run it through the scanner, and then it went through the shredder. That was it. Super easy. It's no longer a piece of paper that's sitting on my desk or one of the drawers. It's been taken care of and filed. That's awesome. Wendy, I'm just going to send you a full box of just random paper. (laughs) Thank you. You love me so much. Or not. I hope that challenge actually happens. Don't tell me. It actually really wouldn't surprise me if he did. Exactly. Hey, I'm sending you something really cool. Look for it. It shows up great. Thanks, Matt. Just a box of <laughs> random papers with like one printed letter on each one or something. I would never do such a thing. Find the message. Sure you, you like puzzle games? The end of last episode, we were talking a bit about cable management, and it sounds like you've been working on that too, Matt. Yeah, calling my cable management a rat's nest is an understatement. I have stuff going up, over, around, <laughs> underneath, and if you look behind the desk, it's not much better. <laughs> So I decided to actually take the time to unplug everything. Oh, the worst part about that is remembering what things go to. Oh, man, that's ambitious. Well, luckily, I have enough remembrance of where stuff goes to. It's just I forgot how much stuff I have (laughs) (laughs) to plug back in. And it is super annoying. I remembered why I hate doing cable management inside of a desktop, let alone outside of it. Yeah. Absolutely. My desktop system has 10 different USB ports, give or take. Every one of them has something running to it. Mm -hmm. That's not counting the multiple consoles and stuff that I have running into the monitor and the various laptops that I have kicking around that I use for different purposes. And it's just like, man, I hate cable management. (laughs) I really do. Once you get it done, it looks so nice and it's so pretty and it's so clean. But getting there is... Not fun. That was the thing. It was the lack of desktop space because of all the various wires and everything else just floating around. And it's just like, okay, I kind of got really tired of not being able to move around my desk and without leaning on a wire, dropping something on a wire or, you know, whatever. It just got really, really annoying. So that's why I really decided to strip everything and start fresh. And then obviously when we talked about it last week, I was like, I really (laughs) need to do that. So that's what I spent, like you had mentioned, about two days doing. Mm -hmm. Well, congratulations on getting it done. Well, it's clean currently. Give it about a month. It probably won't be. Yeah, stuff on the desk never actually stays clean. The only thing that actually lasts for a while, as long as you find a place for something and leave it there, is the under desk cables. Yeah, and that was actually the biggest problem because a lot of mine were just hanging underneath. So there was no running. Stretch too far, pull cables out. Not always a fun thing. Yeah. Especially when it's a running computer. Mm, Not good. Yeah, that's not good. Nope. No, no, definitely not. Nate, you've been doing some interesting stuff to say the least. What have you been working on though? All kinds of fun things, really. I'm going to limit my excitement down to just one thing, very DLN related. I told you previously that I bought a few Raspberry Pis. So one of these Raspberry Pis, I decided to turn into a pie hole. Originally, it was Eric Adams, who used to be on DLN Extend some time ago. He set one up in his house and he had some improvement in how his different devices would behave because it blocks a lot of requests, a lot of queries that you aren't explicitly requesting. I just decided that I would do the same since I had these because I was inspired by another community member, Bill. I just know him as Bill, Frank Bill. He posted something on, I think it might've been one of the deal on Telegram groups or I'm in a lot of groups with him on Telegram. So one of them, he posted it. And so I decided, you know what? I have the extra pies. I'm going to give this a try. I set it up. Wasn't that hard to do. It's really pretty basic. Use the Raspberry Pi OS Lite version. And so everything's done in the terminal, which is super easy because you can SSH into it. I can do it from my OpenSUSE machine. See, there I I slipped it in. I have an almost unhealthy obsession with the project. And within a day, because it keeps track of like in the last 24 hours, 
it's blocking 50 plus percent of all the queries on the network. I'm amazed by advertising and tracking and all this stuff. I think it's the Android devices mostly. Interesting to see what time of day it's happening. Like in the middle of the night, two o'clock in the morning, all of a sudden there's all this activity that it's blocking. And then again, first thing in the morning, probably when you know I'm waking up and everything else and I'm looking at my phone or whatever. So I don't notice any throughput speed, which I didn't expect. But what I have noticed is like web pages are a lot more responsive now because it's blocking a lot of garbage. I'm really happy I did it. I feel like I'm doing my part to limit the amount of tracking and phoning home of the devices in my house. And hopefully more people do that. And then maybe, maybe just maybe some of these manufacturers and advertising powerhouses, whatever, will stop putting all this nasty stuff in our software. At least that's what I'm hoping. That's one of those projects I've been meaning to do. They look really cool. I've heard Ryan talk about his Pseudo has one. I don't know if you follow any of the stuff that he does. He is very Mm -mm. internet related type of stuff. He does a lot with those kind of things. And he's talked about his. I'm really curious. I've never seen someone in the process of setting one up. I'm not sure how complicated it is, but I know it's definitely been on my wish list of things to do. You can root a Amazon Fire tablet. You can set up a pie hole. In fact, you could probably do it with one eye open and one hand tied behind your back and you'd still be fine. Awesome. Standing at your desk with a leg tied behind your back without any concern whatsoever. I know you could do that. I'm still doing some like gathering some data to make sure that I can talk about the benefits of it a little bit better. I'm going to probably do a write-up fairly soon on my website. As soon as I feel like I have enough compelling information as to why it's a good idea, I'm going to do some benchmarking, some, I wouldn't call it good benchmarking or quality benchmarking, but just some testing different websites, testing different things and seeing how the network reacts with it turned on and turned off. It does make things in my network run just a little bit smoother. This episode of DLN Extended is sponsored by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean offers the simplest, most developer-friendly cloud platform. It's optimized to make managing and scaling apps easy with an intuitive API, multiple storage options, integrated firewalls, load balancers, and more. DigitalOcean recently announced new features and services such as a virtual private cloud in all regions, free of charge. This lets you create multiple private networks to isolate your workloads. Container Registries is now available to all users. Easily store and manage private container images and push images seamlessly to DigitalOcean's Kubernetes. You can get all of this plus access to their world-class customer support for as low as $5 per month. Get started on DigitalOcean for free with $100 credit by going to do.co slash dln and you can use that $100 credit for spinning up over a dozen droplets or even some monster-sized droplets for two months. Again, you can get started on DigitalOcean with $100 credit by going to do.co slash DLN. Speaking of running things smoother, which is smoother to call the software we use, free software or open source software? I know there's a lot of debate in it. I've not been one that really picked up on the differences, the nuances, or maybe the lack of good marketing. Some of it might be. What are your thoughts as to free software or open source software? What are the differences to you? What does it mean? How has it come across to you? Honestly, for me, one's ideological and one's ideological kind of, but it comes to the actual development of software. So open source is the ideological preferred way to develop software. Free software stuff and name is more, strictly speaking, ideological driven and not its main purpose, which open source is ideological, but its main purpose is a better development of software. That's how I made the distinction. That's interesting because I really didn't look at it that way. My experience with certain organizations is not as, let's say, intense as it is for some people. I don't necessarily see free software as an ideological view, although I understand where that comes from and what organization has pushed that idea. For me, the idea of free has meant I have not had to dish out any money for it, free as in lunch, while open 
source software could potentially be free as in lunch, but is more free as in speech. Because if it's open, you can change it, modify it, do whatever exciting things you want to do with it. That's actually how I've looked at it very plainly. I think early on, I was concerned about the idea of free software, like how would people make money off of software if it's free outside of doing services and so forth, or maybe advertising or sponsorship. But open source software, my understanding was it's open, but you can also sell it and also sell service and, and subscriptions to it or whatever support. The term free software just meant that. I never really picked up on how huge of an issue it was. I live my life rather oblivious to what the masses are doing. I just kind of danced to my own beat, as it were. I never really got caught up on any of that. And I understand the rub, how people say it's bad marketing to call some software free. It, it scares people away because if it's free, then maybe it has no value. That really brings up a good point. When you hear free software, you think of, I do not have to provide any compensation for the developers who have created this software. And not all software that is quote unquote free for you to use is open source software. Inside that term free software, there's a whole bunch of different things that you can tuck into that that may not flow evenly across exactly what that software is trying to do or put out there. You can find some free downloads of software that will cause issues on your system because it's free in order to take data and all of that kind of stuff. Whereas in we're talking about open source source software, it is built in mind of this code is available for you to see, to change if you would like. And in some cases, they're even requesting, hey, we are open source, but we can provide even more benefits with this service. One of the ones that comes to mind, because I use it every day, would be Bitwarden. That is a password manager that is 100% open source. It is out there. The code is out there. You can look at it. You know exactly what's going on inside of it if you can open the code and read it. They're not hiding anything, but at the same time, they offer additional things that you can get with their paid service and added value from them. I wouldn't call them free software in any sense of the word because there is a value add there. There is something that they are providing to the community no, Wendy, to your point, it's very true that there are things like Bitwarden, there are other applications, there are even distros that are solely focused on that value add. Um, Zorin OS is one that comes to mind. They do have a core open source version, which I believe is just Zorin OS core, if I remember correctly. But they have the ultimate edition too, which is about $30, $40. That's really just themes and a bunch of other stuff that you are totally capable of integrating and doing with the system that you are provided as the core. It's just done for you. It's about a value add when it comes to that. I think the whole thing with the free software, open source software is, again, some of it's marketing. I tend to fall on the view that a lot of it's ideological split more than anything else. I tried to view open source software more in a, the developers were freely able to choose whatever license, whatever libraries they want, etc. that fall into that definition of an open license. I think that's really the key is a lot of its licensing. How much control does the user have over the software? Because we get certain licenses where it's just provided as is and it's on the user at that point, which great for control, not going to lie. I love that. But it doesn't put any onus on the developer either. Right. As far as like, oh, if it breaks, I find open source just to be a better encompassing kind of viewpoint. Not so much open core because that's more of a business model. The source of what drives everything is open to look at, poke at, interpret, 
Whereas like you were mentioning, Wendy, there are applications that are free software, as in the price is free. What it may or may not do, you don't know. There are apps that come to mind that are free that are limited. If you're someone who uses a lot of like ISOs and stuff for on your hard drive or SSD or whatever, and you're on Windows, one of the worst free software, free quote unquote software applications is Daemon Tools. There is so much garbage that if you actually read the EULA for that, that it does. It's like, why would I put this on my system? Luckily in Linux, that's built in. So fair play. It's one of those things where that's a very big distinction that matters. Because the free software aspect is partly bad marketing, but it's not 100% accurate. Whereas at least the open source stuff is easier to not necessarily explain, but easier for people to understand the concept. It's more defined. It is far more defined if you say this is open source software as opposed to free software where you just mentioned there's so many different categories that can fit within that. I almost look at it this way. You have open source versus proprietary, and that is all based on what does the licensing look like. Then you have free versus paid. And inside those two different categories, you can have software that is written with an open source license or a proprietary license. In the marketing side of thing, and this is definitely one of those cases where Linux in general has a problem, and we've talked about that in the past, because there is no solid train that's running down the tracks screaming, hey, these are all the awesome things that Linux is doing. You should check it out too. We don't have commercials that run on shows or anything like that. No, you get that for Apple and Microsoft and Android phones, all of these other operating systems that have a very good advertising base and that advertising really does make a difference. If they can't see it, how are they supposed to know that it's there to use it? Then you have these great open source projects like Darktable, which I didn't know about until I found Linux. And I can bring up a million others that I now use every single day. And in this case, if it wasn't for the fact that I got fed up with my Windows system and specifically went looking, I wouldn't know about these projects. Now, there are some applications that are labeled as free software that people know about that they use on their different Windows systems. They're a little more well-known. But bringing the idea of what open source is and what it stands for, you're not locked into the software not knowing what it's doing. And it's the privacy factor for me that I love the most about open source software in general. Okay, I'm going to use this app. And this is a big thing that I talk about with my kids all the time on their tablets. They'll come to me, hey, mom, I want to install this game. The first thing I do is go look at the permissions. And most of the time, the answer is, nope, we can't download that. And it's because it's requesting A, B, C, and D. Now, if you are downloading some quote unquote free software that is proprietary licensed and now is constantly phoning home and sharing all of your personal data, sure, you didn't pay anything for it, but you're giving up a heck of a lot on the data site, on your personal information. So the distinction between those two, I think, is very important when it comes to what the licensing is, what you have access to know about that software. That's the the same conversation I have with my kids. Hey, here's a free game. Can I install it? No. Uh-uh. Nope. There's nothing free about that. But it doesn't cost anything. Uh, Yeah, it does. It does. It just doesn't cost money. It costs bandwidth. It costs privacy. It costs the efficiency of your phone running or your mobile device, your tablet, whatever running. I said, this is not free at all. This is like the plague. Steer clear of it. I.e. in Ryan's case, you'd be like, this is Facebook. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> 
<laughs> That's free service is not free what we're talking about, which is applications and that kind of stuff is what we're really focusing on. It is free in one sense, which I think is the problem with the term free software. It's a convolution of terms because free as in what? When you say free, what do you mean free? Who's the product here? You know, things like that. To me, free is not the best term. Open source software is a better term. I agree. This can apply to other ways. Like free software can be implied as, oh, well, lesser quality, more dubious, potentially in nature. If people are in the mind frame, like most of us who are Linux users, oh, so how are you trying to make me the product kind of deal? I'm a little more skeptical about that stuff. Whereas open source is like, oh, well, okay, so source, the underlying stuff that makes it work is open. That's pretty self-explanatory. There's no weird convoluted way of trying to explain like certain other ways that other groups will explain it that try to make the differentiation between the two. Open source is just a better term to me, embodies a lot of what people in the Linux crowd and the technology sphere want. And that's really like control and transparency that you don't get with the free services and the other quote unquote free software stuff that is not really free when you actually look at it. Why does this game need access to my contacts as an example? And it's not like a multiplayer game. I totally get where you're coming from with the games thing, Wendy, especially because like, huh, you don't need to make phone calls. You don't need to make phone calls. You don't need to know what I ate for breakfast. You don't need to know any of that stuff. (laughs) Nope, not a single one. I think it's something that has come up in the community constantly because, you know, you get the whole like FOSS, FOSS, free and open source software, open source software. Really, at the end of the day, be it ideological or not, is more of the nature of it. And to me, open source is just a better delineation between what we who use technology would consider more freeware as opposed to free software. And open source is that delineation where it's like, okay, this is transparency, which you don't get with that freeware stuff or what most people would consider the free software stuff. Right. Absolutely. And I've said it before. I almost feel open source software is a form of community service. And I'm not saying community service because you've gotten in trouble. (laughs) Hey, you've got this neighbor that needs help and you bring them dinner or whatever. That kind of like generous community service. And I feel open source software in general and that name in and of itself helps say, hey, here is this super awesome photo program that we've been developing and it gives everybody professional tools. We are delivering this to the community so that everyone has the ability to use these type of features. And at the same time, it being labeled that way shows that there is value being put out there. And if you can help out, please do because it makes the product better. It makes it better for everybody who is part of our photography community. This episode of DLN Extend is brought to you by Bitwarden. Bitwarden is the passive manager we use and trust. It's the easiest, safest way for individuals, teams, businesses, and organizations to store their passwords and other vital sensitive information. Bitwarden lets you choose the authentication to access your password manager, such as PIN, master password, and adding phrases or fingerprint security, all to keep your passwords safe. Go to bitwarden.com DLN to get started for free. Bitwarden is a password manager that I use and trust because Bitwarden is 100% open source. It has extensive security audits. It gives you the ability to self-host if you so choose. So go to bitwarden.com slash DLN to get started for free. It's only $10 for a premium account, which gives you one gigabyte of encrypted file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, U2F, Duo, Vault Health Reports, and more. Make the smart move like many from the community have and go to bitwarden.com slash DLN to get started for free. 
If you're like me, you'll want to show your appreciation by signing up for the Premium Edition, especially since the Premium Edition starts at only $10 annually. Bitwarden has saved me from getting into Serious Jam numerous times. Now, you wouldn't be able to pry it from my cold, dead device. Thanks to Bitwarden for sponsoring this episode of DLN Extend. Matt, since nothing you talk about is free, it ends up costing me money. What is it that you're going to enable me with today that I will probably want to buy? Well, it's almost like I can start calling you Max and drive you mad. Actually, the game is Mad Max. It's a Mad Max game. There's not a lot to it as far as like what it's about. You drive around a V8 interceptor in the desert and steal fuel and blow things up and fight people and punch them in the face. It is rated M game, so this is not a uh, kid's game in any way, shape, or form. If you have played basically the Batman Arkham Asylum games, the combat, as far as the punch people in the face part, is kind of in that vein. Very dystopian, you know, Australia, (laughs) for those that don't know the Mad Max reference. Right. It's almost like it's beyond Thunderdome. It really has a look in the art style like the newer version of Mad Max, the one that came out recently. Mm-hmm. Fury Road. Yeah. Yep. It's got a lot in common with that. It's a lot bigger world as far as like what's going on. It. It's a desert world after World War Three, and everything blows up essentially. Running over sand dunes quite frequently. But if you've played any games like Dirt or any of those kind of like racing games or any of the big open world games, this is like part and parcel for the games as far as the feeling of a big empty open world. But and the same point, there's not a lot of people left in a Mad Max world and a big empty open world would kind of make sense. I've got a yeah, question. I guess my question is... Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> Two questions. Go ahead, Nate. My question is, where do you find a mechanic? Actually, that's part of the story. Is it? Okay. Believe it or not, it's part of the storyline. Part of you is actually the mechanic too, but there is actually a mechanic. Hmm. It's just interesting. It seems like a big pain in the butt. It's not. It's a lot of menu-driven stuff, so it's not like a big pain in the butt to worry about. But upgrading and repairability and that kind of stuff is something to take. I'm just thinking like in real life. Oh, yeah. What are you going to pay them in a post-apocalyptic world? Bitcoin? What actually has value? It seems like food. Scrap. Food and scrap. The barter system comes scrap in. Scrap metal and that kind of stuff. Right, I got it. Wendy? I pulled this up in Steam, and off to the right-hand side, it says, is this game relevant to you? And it tells me it is similar to Euro Truck Simulator and American Truck Simulator. I think Steam probably has this wrong. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm just going to guess because it's the algorithm, so Lord knows. I'm assuming it's because it's the quote-unquote open world tag. And the driving part of it. And the driving part. I'm just guessing, though. If any of you have watched Zeb play Euro Truck Simulator, yeah, it's about the same. <laughs> yes, I did love his version of truck driving. It was quite fun to watch him smash. Crash all the campers. Yeah, he called them caravans here in the States. We call them campers. That was definitely fun to watch him go full blown and just tear things apart. It was an exciting experience. And I have to say, when I play the game, I play more like Zeb than I do English Bob. Just putting it out there. Why would you want to play the right way? That's just no fun. That's what mods are for. <laughs> it's really fun to watch EB play the right way. But it's not fun for me to play the right way because, well, I'm just not good at it. But do you have fun? I do have fun when I play the Zeb way. My husband has drove truck in real life. So when it comes to backing up the trucks in the game, it is super easy for him. All of those mechanics are essentially the same in the direction that you need to be going to backing up. So I will have an absolute train wreck going on. He goes, oh, it's easy. Click, click, click. 
part. Like, yeah, go away. While I am playing in a wide open world, Wendy, there's a whole sandbox that you've been playing in, kind of in a universal size, though. Yes, I haven't actually played it yet, but this is one of the things I am picking up today. Unfortunately, at the time we're recording this, it's on sale, but it'll no longer be on sale when this goes live, and that is Universe Sandbox. It was already in my wish list, has been in my wish list apparently for a very long time. I forgot all about this game and what it exactly does. So it popped up that it was on sale and hmm, universe, planets, that kind of thing. I'll go ahead and take a look at it. And you're dealing with physics. You were able to build your own universes. So one of the examples that they had, you had Earth and I don't know how many different moons that it had. You can watch as gravity interacts with the different moons and they get pulled into the earth. You can do all kinds of really cool exploration with some of these concepts that can be a little overwhelming at times and get to see them in practice. It's one of those situations where A, not only do you get to learn something, but you get to blow stuff up. I know, looking at the trailers on there, looks like a thing of nightmares to me. It would be if you were (laughs) living on one of those planets. Absolutely. One of the cool things that I watched is Earth is considered in that Goldilocks zone, right? We're just warm enough that we have ice at the same time there's liquid water it's very comfortable to live in if we were too much closer it'd be too hot or if we were too much further away we'd just be a gigantic ball of ice and you get to play with that zone you could move earth back and forth inside our current solar system and see what happens i think as a learning tool it's a lot of fun i have played with something like this before that was a web-based version but this one is so much more graphically enriched plus getting to apply some of those different concepts. And the VR. It has a VR component as well if you're into that. And that'd make me sick and I'd probably have to hurl. But I do think it's cool. Yeah, I couldn't do the VR part of it. It would be way too much ice stream. But I have kids that are requesting we get VR. I'm not there yet. Not because I don't think it's a really cool technology. My kids don't take care of things well enough yet for me to invest in VR. Mm, A thousand dollars. All I'm going to say is don't look at Oculus at all if you don't want Facebook integration. Thanks for that because I don't. I know. So (laughs) Oculus changed their terms of service. So basically you have to have a Facebook account now. That's so gross. Facebook owns Oculus. Well, that would mean no Oculus for me. Your options are the Valve Index or the HTC Vive. I've had HTC devices in the past and have really liked them. So if their build quality has stayed the same, that might be a route that we go. Vive is a company that HTC totally spun off to its own company. I believe Vive was originally developed with in cooperation with Valve. So either one of them might be good options. Yeah, I'm not sure how its Linux support is. I'm not a VR guy, but I do try to keep up on somewhat on the, the news for it. Because you're a resident game guy. Um, sure. You got to know when to push and at the right time when the moment's primed and then you're going to start doing your thing. No, because I'm not going to enable anybody to go spend a thousand plus dollars on a headset that gives you 3D. No, I'm saying you can't be our resident game guy if you don't keep up on the game news. Oh, well, that part. Yeah, you're correct. I will never tell people to go <laughs> VR, though. That's, that's not my thing. Just because the hardware itself right now is way too expensive. It's understandable. Yeah, I'm not spending a grand on a Linux-friendly headset. That's just absurd to me. I would say the vomit-inducing results from using VR. Yeah. As an aside, at my previous employer, I became the guy that did all the manufacturing tests in VR first. It literally, it made me sick. I can only do it a few minutes at a time. 
and I put in one of the variables wrong. I ended up falling through a floor and it was just too realistic. I actually hit the ground. I took the headset off and I had to stay on all fours for a while. And someone's like, are you okay there, bud? No, I'm not. Here you go. I couldn't do the VR thing. It messes with me a lot more. Motion sickness was the biggest one for a long time. That's a totally different topic. It is. I've talked about Lineage quite a bit with putting it on our Amazon Fire tablets and one of the OSs that I really enjoy running on my phone. It sounds like you've played with this one a little bit, Nate. I've been dipping in and out of Lineage OS over the years when it was called Cyanogen Mod. I'm not unfamiliar with it, but I haven't really done it to a phone in a couple of years. My Moto G6 decided that it would start failing, had some hardware failures, not the screen. I didn't break the screen. Apparently I broke the microphone and something in the USB protocol stopped working so I can't even access it through USB anymore. Nor does it charge very fast, so I don't know what's going on there. I replaced it with a Moto G7 Power. I'm super cheap when it comes to phones. I don't like to spend a lot of money, which is probably why they only last about a year or two for me, which I think that's about the average lifespan of a phone. But anyway, so I got this phone and I decided that I would root it, put the lineage treatment on it. Because when I got the phone, it was unlocked, but it had all this T-Mobile stuff on there. I couldn't get rid of the Facebook or Amazon stuff. And as soon as there's something on my phone, like an application, especially tied to a service that I can't delete, that immediately says, I can't use this device. I have to wipe it. I got to put my own stuff on it. So I went with Lineage OS 17, I believe. Now I didn't totally de-Google it, but I noticed that things with the Google apps has changed a lot. It used to just be install Google apps and get Google apps, but now they have different scales of it. You can have less Googliness or more Googliness depending on what your needs are or desires. And so I went with like the lesser, just enough so I can use like maps and get my applications. I'm still kind of tied to like my banking app and whatnot. And maybe there's a better way to do it. It's what I did. It's Android 10 on this. I'm pretty happy with it. I'm rather impressed with how speedy the phone is. Because I don't have Facebook on my phone. I don't have the social media stuff on my phone, except for Twitter is the only one I have, which that's bad enough as is. Having control over what's on there, I can very easily remove Twitter and then my phone have lesser stuff on there. It did take me quite a while to do because the lineage OS thing is moving a little bit faster than I recall. And also there's these boot A and boot B banks, and I'm not really sure how all that stuff really works. So I just basically did just enough to get the thing working so I could put the lineage OS on there and have a phone that doesn't have all the cruft. I'm very happy with the phone. The size is nice. I got a case that has like a little ring thing in it that can be like a, a stand or prop, whatever, like to prop it up or stick my finger through it so I don't drop it because I am prone to drop my phone. Probably why the last one doesn't work because I dropped it. It's like an eight hour process because I didn't know what I was doing. I had to read through a lot. And my problem with the instructions is they're too generic as far as how to get things done. Well, they're not tailored for Linux exactly, which is also a bit of a headache. Once I got through the first bits of it, recovery software installed on there, it was not a problem. I got a good phone. Hopefully it'll last me a couple of years. I got the screen protector on there, the one, the tempered glass one, because I broke the last tempered glass screen. Lineage OS does run a lot faster than a standard operating system, I notice. It is definitely an improvement. It is a huge difference. And you're right. If you haven't rooted a phone in a long time or put a new ROM on it in a long time, there is this massive learning curve. And even if you change from one brand to another, there's a completely different learning curve on how to go about that entire process. And it can be very difficult, especially where they're assuming when writing these instructions that most people are using a Windows computer to do the changes. One of the nice things about Linux is depending on which distro you're running, the Android tools are built in. I know when I'm doing that kind of stuff, on my computer. I typically have to run it as sudo or I don't have permissions to make those changes. I get blocked by you're not an administrator and can't make it. So most of the time, if I'm in fast boot and doing the 
unlock command, then it usually has to be run as sudo. Were you doing the unlock portion in a terminal? Yeah, I was doing everything in the terminal and I didn't have to run sudo, but I do a lot of stuff with the Arduino and like single board computer things. I already have given myself permission to a lot of that. I don't know if it's the same thing. I don't remember what they're all called now. I write these things down so I don't have to remember. I do send programs to an Arduino. Whatever is used, I think, as far as group permissions on that, I think is also what the ADB uses as far as the protocols, I think. I could be wrong on that one. Someone can correct me because we have a great community that knows all this stuff. I didn't have to in OpenSUSE, Tumbly rather, for doing anything in sudo. That makes it really handy. I don't run it enough that I haven't added myself to some of those different user groups. So that's probably where the difference is between the two. It could be. Is your phone right now officially supported by Lineage or are you running a community build? I think it's officially supported. It wasn't a community build. Pretty sure it's considered officially supported. And I didn't know there was a difference. If you go to the Lineage website and you can download the ROM directly from their website, then it is officially supported. For all of the devices I have right now, there is an officially supported build of Lineage OS. They are all ones that members of the Android community are taking the core of Lineage OS and building specifically for those devices. Okay. One of the wonderful things, because it is an open source project, that information is shared. So even if the Lineage team themselves don't have time or don't have the device to support it and build versions of Lineage for it, the community can step in and say, hey, I've got one. I'll support this device. Yeah, it looks like it's officially supported. Lineage OS version 17.1 for the phone. There's an 18.1, but it's not ready yet. That's definitely the advantage. If you have a device that's officially supported by Lineage, you get the updates faster. You're a little more up to date on which version they're on. Whereas devices that are not officially supported by Lineage, you might be a couple versions back. And I'm okay with being a couple versions back as long as it's still getting security patches. And I just got an update a couple days ago for it. So this version is still being supported. The Google apps, the G apps. The Open G apps, I think is what it's called. They don't have an 18.1 build for that yet, which is why I'm waiting. I need it for banking. That's what it boils down to. Right. I'm not going to go without that. I'm sure there's a probably way to get around it. I just don't know the process. And that is really nice where you get to choose your level of how much Google crap you add back to the device. <laughs> right. There's a saying, do I want the absolute bare minimum and nothing else? Or do I want just a little bit to get these additional functions working? It's really up to you as what do I use my phone for? What are the things that I absolutely need to use it on the day-to-day with the stuff that has to get done? And it is now in your hands. It is your choice whether there's no Google or 100% added back. And I went with the just enough, I think like the nano build. So just enough because I don't like the Google email client. I think it's terrible. Yeah. I don't have that. I don't have their calendaring. I think it's kind of garbage as well. And so I use some other ones that I think are much better. But I do have like the location services, which, you know, that's kind of a red flag. I think that's my one red flag is location services. But I can shut that off, I guess. I don't know how much shutting it off actually shuts it off. I have a little bit more confidence when I'm behind my firewall with Pi-hole running, to circle back on my previous topic, that at least I'm a little bit better protected there. Another really cool thing that you can do with this open, I call it gaps, but open G apps, however you want to say it. Gaps just <laughs> is shorter hand for me, less, I don't know, tongue twister stuff, words, if we're going by Michael's term. And yes, that's a reference to only the live this week in Linux. 
one of the variants that you can do when you're downloading open gaps open g apps is the aroma installer and that installer is really really cool so as you're going through it's almost like this gui install interface and you can pick and choose different specific applications and functions that you want installed now using this installer does take more time it's not as fast as just flashing one of the different other variants inside of it but if you have some extra time and there's only some very specific apps that you want installed that's a really cool way to go about it Hmm. Well, I didn't even think of that. I just did Nano because it was small. I almost did Pico. The Aroma is a bigger download because it does contain absolutely everything in it and it is a GUI style interface. You don't want some of the stuff that's in maybe micro, but you want some of the functionality that is in micro. If you do the Aroma installer, then you're just very careful picking, choosing, yes, I want this. No, I don't want this. You just run through the whole everything that's included and you can pick and choose which of those apps get installed. If you want more than micro, as far as some of the applications that are built in, but you do not want to have to go find them in the Play Store afterwards, the Aroma installer is a great way to go. Interesting. I almost went with the stock because I thought, you know, stock. I didn't want all that extra stuff in there. I didn't even think to use the Aroma. I probably should have contacted you before starting this. (laughs) Not a problem. The next phone or tablet I decide to root, I think I'm going to contact you first, just to be sure. Well, I bug you about printers and all kinds of other stuff, so feel free. We'd like to continue this discussion with you on Telegram, in Discourse, Mumble, or Discord. Visit the DLN website for information on how to connect to the social channels and all of our shows and creators at destinationlinux.network. For more information on where you can find stuff about me, you can go to cubiclenate.com. Links to my regular written blatherings podcast and YouTube channel can be found there. You can find my random ramblings on Twitter at MattDLN. You can find me on Mastodon at WendyDLN and Mastodon.online. Be sure to check out the DLN merch store and grab yourself some awesome deal and extend swag along with stuff from across the shows on our network and just for you from may 13th to may 17th you can get 20 percent off our spread shirt merch no code needed remember we have a live show coming up on may 19th check the link in description to see how you can join us for a live show as always we thank you for joining us we'll be back next week with another awesome episode of deal and extend until then have a great week everyone 